Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. The 30th day of the month of November, the year 2020. About to turn the calendar to December and the final month of this. What has been, uh, to say, an interesting yet dreadful year would be an understatement. Uh, a lot to get to in this episode. Bill Meltzer is going to join us in a couple moments. We're going to talk about uh, the latest NHL news and notes, headlines, and what's going on with the return to play as uh, the NHL hopefully is getting closer. We don't know what the date is yet. Hopefully we're going to find that out very soon as the NHL and NHLPA uh, do go back and forth a bit here on salary deferment. We'll talk about that with Bill. Also, in this episode, we're going to bring back Twitter questions. Got a bunch of Twitter questions from listeners and uh, people uh, inquiring about different areas of discussion. We'll get to those with Bill Meltzer as well. Recap Flyers Hall of Fame week and much, much more, including who should be the next class or next couple of classes to go into the Flyers Hall of Fame? We'll talk about that and debate it as well. In the meantime, let's get to my conversation with Bill Meltzer. Happy to have you join us here on Flyers Daily once again. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, and you hear him here on Flyers Daily pretty darn often. It's Bill Meltzer. Bill, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. Hopefully, you know, it seems like we say this every time, but hopefully you have some, uh, you know, some 2020-21 Flyers to talk about very soon. You know, it's interesting because I want to start there, and we got a lot to get to in this episode, um, but I want to start there with kind of what's going on with the league. Um, there's been a couple of little signals, and you and I were talking about before taping, Michael Roffel being loaned uh, to be able to play over in Europe where a lot of leagues are playing right now. Uh, also, you know, you look at the, the NBA starting training camp this week. That's a pressure point for the NHL. Um, and there's been some media uh, writing about, you know, the, the deferment and the issues that are at hand between the NHL and the PA. Um, when you see that raffle loan, what does that tell you, Bill? Well, I mean, it tells me that uh, January 1st is, I mean, I, I think if, I think if the flyers really strongly felt that January 1st was going to happen and with camp starting, you know, the middle of December, I don't think, I don't think you're loaning one of your veterans to, uh, you know, to a team in Europe. So, I, Who's got to come over in quarantine as well? Oh, exactly, exactly. So I, I think that that uh, you know I think that speaks to things being being pushed back. To I mean, we we had talked about a timetable of the latter part of January anyway, the second half of January being you know maybe more realistic for the camp and the start of the season no later than the start of February. But I, I think that speaks to the fact that it's you know it, it's looking less and less likely that there'll be a January first start. You know, beyond that, we'll see. Um, you know, they they're gonna have to work out the uh, the escrow issue and the, those other things as well, on the front end of things. Um, you know, and I, it doesn't totally shock me that uh, there has there hasn't been a lot of you know current conversation between the league and the union. I I think they need to they're gonna have to work quickly. So there's not a lot of time for you know, not a lot of time for for going an inch at a time. They're gonna need to come to an agreement pretty soon. So that's really kind of where things stand right now. I've been doing a little poking around on it, and I've never kind of run into more walls than I'm running into now. It seems like from all sides and people that I've kind of poked at, none of them want to talk about it publicly. Nobody right. wants to put anything out there. I think that's a good thing because waging the war publicly from a PR perspective, like Major League Baseball did in their return this summer, uh, got really ugly, and people don't really don't want to hear about it right now. And the NHL was – smooth in their return to play but this is different this is bringing all 31 clubs back this is also when you look at it you know an agreement that was just made to a new cba and the players 
I think their big issue here, Bill, and not wanting to relent or alter it in any way is, look, we've had CBAs and parts of it in, in the past, and we couldn't renegotiate it after a year or just into a new CBA. We had to wait for it to expire. They want to stand their ground here more unprecedented, I believe, than anything else. I, I, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it's I mean, it, it's a brand new CBA. I, I think there was some understanding they were going to be a little further tweaking. I, I think that, uh, you know, at this at this point, at this point, there was posturing on the front end of things. I mean, usually when nobody's talking about it at all, that does mean there are communications going on. And usually, you know, usually when there's a lot of uh, lines being drawn in the sand, a lot of public complaining about it is really when you are worried that things are moving slowly. So, I mean, I, I, I think that there are, there's some level of communication going on, or at least, at least internally within uh, the board of governors and within the players association, um, you know, and, and again, ho- hopefully it gets resolved pretty quickly because it, it's going to have to be. Yeah. I see the NWHL has set a start date for their season on January 23rd, as I just alluded to the NBA uh, in Philadelphia here, the Sixers are going to training camp this week and they're going to start their season December 22nd. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out. And, you know, the NHL has been prudent, Bill, in the sense that in the original return to play, they waited to the last minute to make some very key decisions based on the most current data and information they could get. And as you see what's going on in the NFL right now, the, the Ravens, have, I think, had six straight days of players testing positive. And we had a game in the NFL on Sunday where there, there was no quarterback for the Denver Broncos. They had to pull a guy that wasn't even on the team a couple of weeks ago who played a little quarterback at Wake Forest off the practice squad to play. He went one over, I think, one of nine in passing for three yards. And yeah. and then you look at, obviously, what's happening in San Francisco. And this could affect the NHL as well because in Santa Clara County, um, there, there's no contact sports. And the 49ers now have to find a place to practice and play. So is that the same county where San Jose is? I am not sure. Yeah, I'm not up on my geography in California, but – these are the things that the league's got to deal with in every different variation thereof. So uh, we'll see how it plays out, but it looks like an all at foregone conclusion that we're going to see an all Canadian division, the seven teams North of the border and then uh, eight team divisions uh, down here South of the border. And the flyers wouldn't have the penguins in their division bill. Did you see that, uh, that proposed realignment uh, th- that was reported out there? Yeah, I, I, I did see that. You know, uh, I want that team in the division now. That I don't think that they're exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think now that the window is just about closed for them. <laughs> you yeah. want them in the division at this point. That's a great rivalry anyway. So, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, just as some of these other teams seem to be turning a corner, all of a sudden they're you know, <laughs> it's uh, maybe not so advantageous. But I mean, I, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I, I get it to to a degree. I, I think that you have those teams in that kind of you know Southeast Pennsylvania, Jersey, New York corridor. You know, you can you can um, minimize travel and, and and whatnot. I don't know how much the Penguins are going to like being in the division they're in, but it, it's temporary. It's a one year thing. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, listen. You know, it, it's uh, at least we're not in an opt out situation. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look, you know, what happened in the ECHL and it, and it affects the Flyers affiliate, Reading, that whole division, that whole Northern Division is not playing this season. Yeah, that's yeah. horrible to see for a lot of those players trying to make their way to the show. Yeah, for sure. So. You know, as you know, I, I, I'm optimistic still that this will all get get worked through, and we'll be, you know, talking about training camp and training camp battles relatively soon. But I think we're all anxious for you know to get get some dates down and, and figure out, uh, you know, what that's all going to look like and when that will all be. Bill, I was looking at I, I got a call on a radio show I did this weekend, 
and somebody asking me about the value in the Flyers NHL futures. They're at 16 to one. So plus 1600 in Vegas right now to be the 2021 NHL Stanley cup champion. Uh, the, the best odds, three teams are at seven to one, the Tampa Bay lightning, Colorado avalanche and Vegas golden Knights. I'm fine with T- Tampa being there, Colorado being there. I don't think Vegas should be seven to one, more like nine to one or 10 to one. Uh, Boston's at 12 to one. And then the flyers and the caps are each at 16 to one. And the, the Maple Leafs, St. Louis blues, Pittsburgh penguins and Dallas stars, Vancouver Canucks and Edmonton Oilers all at 20 to one. Do you see value there at that plus 1600 for the flyers? Is that, is that about where they should be in these futures? Not that futures mean a whole heck of a lot, but is that kind of how you see it? Well, I, I, I mean, if you look off of the, certainly the second half of last season, even going back to November, uh, of last year, you know, where the Flyers ranked league wide. I mean, the Flyers were up near the top of the league. You know, I, I mean, there are, you know, uh, there are question marks on the team. We, we've discussed them in, in past podcasts. You know, uh, someone stepping up and, and uh, you know, playing the Matt Niskanen minutes and, and those kind of things. And Nolan Patrick coming back healthy and, you know, solving the third line center. And they're just, just, just those, those question marks that we had going into the offseason. But if but if things click, I mean, certainly you have a, a team that can go a long way. And of course, we as we always say, it starts with the goaltending. And Carter Hart should get, you know, continue to blossom into a star goaltender in the league if he's not already there. So, you know, uh, uh, sixteen to one. I, you know, maybe I don't think it should be much worse than about twenty to one. And that then that that's going to all change anyway as we get into a season, particularly a, you know, a short season. They they adjust that. But I mean, I don't I don't think it's terribly off base. Are there certain teams that it's more beneficial if they have a 60 game season as opposed to an 82 game season, maybe a more veteran laden team, maybe even Tampa because they played later than everybody else with the exception of the Dallas stars. Could it, could it benefit those teams with a a slightly shortened regular season, you know, three quarters of a regular season, a little less wear and tear as you head into the playoffs and maybe a team that's got a lot of veterans. Yeah. Potentially once, once you're, you're looking at the playoffs because it does, you know, you have, you have that second half wear and tears, you, you know, the attrition piles up and, and injuries and those kind of things. But of course the flip side of that too, it's a lot of times the teams that go make deep runs, they tend to struggle early the next season. There's like that hangover effect almost, yeah. uh, particularly for the two finalists and, and the one that lost in the yeah. final. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it can take, you know, it can take, Four, four to six weeks before the team really starts to, to look like itself again. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of time to waste. You know, I'm. If you remember in in uh, 2012, 13, uh, the Flyers just buried themselves early that year in that 48 game season, and they they spent the rest of the season catching up. They finally got over 500 in the 48th game of the season because they spent so much time having to catch up. So, you know, I if you if you have a bad 15 games to start the season. You know, that's almost like when they draw the line, you know, like the, the midseason mark or Thanksgiving or, or, you know, where they always, you know, you don't really have much time to get off to a slow start and, and correct course. So I, I think that uh, I think that potentially could benefit veteran teams if they can avoid that, that hangover effect early in the season. Um, and also teams that have I think it also benefits teams that, that have had maybe a little less turnover because you're not having to. uh you don't know, have to fit as many new guys into a team or a new system and those kind of things. So the more continuity there is, I think that benefits a team in a, you know, in, in a shorter season too, just because they don't need as long to get up to speed. Yeah. Two teams that stick out for me in that regard in the Eastern conference of the Boston Bruins who are, are up there in years and their window is getting smaller. I don't know that it's closed yet, but, uh, and the Washington capitals 
and now under first year head coach uh, with the Caps, Peter Laviolette. So uh, two ones that'll be very interesting to watch here in the Eastern Conference. Um, what's the latest you're hearing? What do you think is the uh, the plan of attack on the contract for Phil Myers? Well, I'm I'm still expecting it to be a bridge deal. Um, you know, I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up somewhat in the same ballpark as Travis Sanheim's two year deal. I, I you know if they could get something longer term done, that's great too. But um, you know, I mean, he as a first time restricted free agent, he he didn't have any uh, you know arbitration rights this year. Um, yeah, he has fewer NHL games under his belt. I mean, he was act, he actually entered this past season, you know, still officially as a rookie. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I, it'll get done. Um, there's not a, you know, they're not under the gun where they're they're facing. Okay, is he going to miss time in camp or something like that? If if we're talking about the eve of camp that he's still unsigned, then then I'd start to get a little concerned about it. Um, but I mean, I I would expect it to be you know a, a two year deal. Um, has arbitration rights at the other end of it. He'll certainly be protected, um, you know, in the expansion draft that, you know, the, this coming off season. So, you know, that, that'll all work itself out. Um, you know, I, I'm really looking more towards the guys that are coming up on free agency after the season. Carter Hart will be a restricted free agent for the first time. Uh, Sandheim will be a, a free agent again. Um, Nolan Patrick, uh, because he, he, you know, he had no leverage this off season. If he has a he has a nice nice season this year and looks back on track, then all of a sudden he has considerably more leverage and the cap being flat. So that you know, I, I think after the season is really where I'm starting to look at. Okay, there's not a lot of dollars to go around, and there's some guys you need to resign. But I but I think that I think Myers will get done in quick order once they kind of know what the timetable is going to look like. Yeah, it's interesting because as a general manager, you're you're plotting your pieces on the chessboard according to like a five year plan, looking that out, and you're planning on an 88 million dollar salary cap and then all of a sudden it's 81 and a half still and we'll be probably the following year maybe even the following year beyond that um bill we did a series uh you and i did a joint series called flyers hall of fame week um man was it fun <laughs> um the history of the franchise nobody knows it better than you is is so interesting for a non-original six team they have so much history and so many characters along the way great players gritty players players that are bigger than just the flyers that are, that are just big hockey names and, you know, doing the series and we had Dave Poulin on, he kicked it off for us. Uh, we had Rod Brindamore, um, Mark Howe, which was absolutely incredible. Billy Barber. Uh, we're still working on trying to get Tim Kerr who we don't see very, we don't see or hear from very often, but we have a, a good line in the water and we've gotten some nibbles. We're hoping to talk to, to Tim Kerr who has a, had a prolific uh, bunch of years scoring goals, 50 plus in the national hockey league in four straight years. Um, what were your impressions of that of that series that we did? Because you did the written word on uh, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and you also joined in on the interviews here on uh, Flyers Daily. Well, uh, I thought that uh, you know guys like Davey Poulin, certainly Mark Howe, uh, Bill Barber. I, I felt like I was getting a hockey education. There was so much, so so much wisdom that they had to share from uh, not just you know not just about their own careers, but their observation on on what it takes to build teams that win and what it takes to have longevity in the league and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and of course, uh, you know, I, I just think, I just think that their, their insights on um, coaching, what works with players, what motivates guys, uh, 
you know, what, what makes for good leadership, what makes for good chemistry. I mean, all, all of that, I thought that there were, there were common threads in all of that. And every, every guy had his own unique point of view too. And, his own, and, and just a you know, great story. I mean, I, I thought that, uh, you know, pretty much every, every interview we did, I, I wish we had a, an extra 45 minutes to an hour with every one of those guys. I, I really, I, I, got, I had a blast with it. Yeah, it was a crash course. And even though some of these players, like Billy Barber, hasn't played since the early 80s, Mark Howe's been out of the game for a long time. You know, all of them, Dave Pullen as well, Tockett and Brenda Moore, to a lesser extent, played into the 2000s at least. But some things in sports are constant, and they don't change. They don't, you know, suffer evolution. And it's it's about playing for the guy next to you, compete level, preparation, um, motivation, and all of those things. And even though some of those guys, most of those guys didn't win a cup here, uh, they still have great memories here and a great accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, everybody, everybody we talked to at least, uh, at least played in a Stanley cup finals. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, and it's, it, it takes the same elements to get that far. Anyway, if you're getting, getting to the finals, you, you have a team that's capable you know, under the right circumstances of going all the way. I, I think that, um, you know, I also think too, that the, just to, to understand the amount of preparation that goes into being consistent on a year in and year out basis, you know, that that's uh, because there, there have been players that have had a great, a great season here or, you know, or, or whatever the case might be to me, the guys that sustain it over a period of time. And, you know, they, they're all, they're all perfectionists to, to a large degree too. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the guys that we talked to, uh, they had accumulated injuries towards the latter part of the career and, and just, they, they were very, you know, they were very articulate in expressing how frustrating that is, you know, um, when you still have the, the ability level and the know-how and your body starts to break down and betray you. I mean, if, if we talk to Timmy Carr, he's kind of the ultimate case of that. That's what's kept him out of the hockey all fame with just how early he had to retire because of the injuries. It, um, you know, but these are these are all just you know tremendous, tremendous hockey players and all really good people too. Yeah, I want to talk to Tim Carter too. He was an undrafted player. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Flyers signed him. What a signing it was! And when he, when he really hit his stride, uh, incredible player. Bill, the next round, uh, and you're writing a series on this as well on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com of the next Flyers Hall of Fame inductees. Well, you have a great list here of guys that you've written about whether that be chemo teaming in what a deal that was to bring him and Scott Hartnell here from Nashville uh, pre free agency that year. And then Danny Briere, what a big free agent signing that was. And after a horrific season to, to move the, the, the flyers into a different direction in a new era, Simone Gagne, we know of the dramatic moments of the game seven goal against Boston and, and others, but the player that he was, and he was a prolific point getter as well. Mark Recchi holds the franchise record for most points in a season still. Rick Tockett, who I spoke to last week, got in the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, waiting for the call from the Flyers. And even Scott Hartnell is another guy that could be uh, up for consideration. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think Hartnell's the one who's, you know, you could debate. Um, the other guys, to me, are all no-brainers when, when the Hall gets activated again. It's going to be interesting to see who gets in when and what order. And that, that's, that could be a debate in itself. Who should be the first of that group? Should it be, you know, Tockett, who – was a big part of those mid eighties team. Should it, should it be Recky who a three time Bobby Clark uh, trophy winner. He's already in the, the big hall in Toronto and uh, mm -hmm. played more games for the flyers than he did for any other of his NHL, NHL teams, you know, 
should be Gagne was a model of consistency year in and year out. And he um, actually, when we did a, uh, a reader poll as to who would you like to see go in first, Gagne was the winner. That actually mm. surprised me. Wow. Uh, you know, Gagne, Gagne got, all, got almost half of the votes of over 4,000 people voted. And he actually beat out Rex and, and talk and the fan vote, you know, for who they'd like to see go in first. Uh, Chemo, five Barry Ashby trophies. Seven years the Flyer won the Barry Ashby Trophy five times, played a couple of all-star games, you know, uh, a, a quiet leader, um, an incredible pain threshold, you know, and it was a Total big part. rock of a defender, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just, <laughs> rock. A, yeah, just one of the smartest hockey players I've ever seen and absolutely fearless, you know, that team in it was just, uh, you know, if you could have six guys like that on the blue line, I don't care how big or small they are, you'd have a, you know, you'd never have to worry about your defense you know, on either side of the puck. So, you know, I mean, teaming in absolutely to me is a, is a no-brainer. And he'll be, he'll be the first European, too. If, well, really? Okay. Yeah. And, and, been, yeah. and Danny Breer's got to go. Gotta go and, and Danny just uh, – Danny, you know, Danny, I, I think Paul Holmgren said it best. You know, he said that Danny – he met expectations in the regular season. He had a couple 30-goal years here. Um, I think three or four years where he averaged like 0.85 points per game. You know, or, or, or a little bit better than that, but it was in the playoffs where he really, where he really showed his medal and turned it up. I, if you look in franchise history, you know, and I'm excluding Peter Forsberg because he only played one playoff series as a flyer. But if you look who had the highest playoff points per game as a flyer for their career, uh, it was Kenny Lindsman, who might surprise some people that he was number one. Number two is Eric Lindros, and number three is Danny Briere. That, wow. that was more the mark he had from a points per game standpoint. So, you know, that 2010, that 2010 run, but it wasn't just 2010 either. It was 2008 and it was 2012 and it was 2011. I mean, Danny was just a, Danny was just a machine in, in the playoffs. And I think that that uh, playoff success and the, uh, you know, also is also the popularity ha- had and still has with the fans too. Yep. Factors into all that. Yeah, I've talked about it before. Um, he is the classiest athlete I've ever dealt with. In hockey, you deal with a lot of them. They're a lot. Of, they're great. They're great guys, uh, but none more classy than Danny Breer. He's been on this podcast a, a couple of times. Bill, our next uh, endeavor is going to be something that's very close to my heart, as you know. Um, we're going to do a series on the masked men, uh, the Flyers goaltenders. And I have such a long list of guys to try and get on uh, for this series. And, and you're going to do some written stuff on this as well. Kind of like we did for flyers hall of fame week. And I mean, the characters, whether that, you know, you, you go back and look at guys like Dominic Roussel, Brian Boucher, you can maybe Steve Mason is a guy we talked to more recent. Uh, we're going to end it with Carter Hart. You know that um, <laughs> number one. And then you go back into all the years and all these goalies. And there's a narrative that this has been a goalie graveyard, but there's been goalies that have come through here and played pretty well. They just weren't sustainable for a long period of time. Do, do you agree with that narrative that this has been a, an absolute graveyard for goaltenders? Because I don't. Uh, no, I, I absolutely don't. Um, there, I mean, look at look at you mentioned Brian Boucher. Look look at Boucher's rookie year. It was unbelievable. Right? Yeah, yeah. One, I mean that was that was one of the best rookie seasons, you know, uh, any goalies ever had, and got the team within a, a game of the Cup Finals. And the Flyers didn't lose a jersey because of the goaltending either. Nope. Um, that was that was a two to one game seven, and and Bush certainly pulled his weight in that series, you know. And, and there have been other times, there have been other there have been other years too where the goaltending has has been fine, and there have been other things that have you know gone wrong at the wrong time. So, 
you know, and Farzo even had a couple of Vezina finalists uh, along the way, other than the, other than the guys who have won it. Um, you know, Czech Mata could never, never seem to be able to do that in the postseason, but he had some great regular seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Bob Froze was a Vezina finalist in between Pally Lindbergh winning it and, and Ron Hextall winning it. Yep, the 86 season. Dinner. So, you know, I mean, Frosty, uh, you know, now Frosty got outplayed by Van Beesbrook, you know, in that, that playoff season in, in 86. But, you know, there, so there have been, there've been goal, good goalies along the way. Um, even go all the way back to the beginning, you know, with uh, not just Bernie Prump, but Doug Favell, too. Doug Favell was a, was a good goalie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, or, or Pete Peters, two-time mm-hmm. NHL All-Star, ended up winning a Vezina with Boston after he was, he was traded to Boston for Brad McCrimmon. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, th- there have been times when certainly you could say, okay, the goaltending cost the Flyers. And other times, too, when, it, when it's been other things, too. So I, I, I don't agree with the, I don't agree with the, you know, narrative that it, that's always been the goaltending and it's always a goalie graveyard and you mentioned steve mason too it's funny if you look at mace's home numbers mm-hmm. his home numbers were top five in the nhl over the course of his flyers career it was the road where he and the team yeah you know, where they where they struggled a little bit but in terms of home performance i mean he was he was right up near the top and and he had he had one year in particular where you know he had a tremendous year I, I, it, the team itself didn't have a very good year but he uh you know so, uh, and, he, and he almost, well, the Flyers almost upset um, Vino's Rangers in 2014. The number one reason was Mason. Yeah, you know, that, game that seven. Yeah. So it, it, game it, seven, uh, one nothing. Game, uh, it was it was a two to one game. But, two to one. But he, uh, it was two to one. But he had no chance on either goal. And the only the only reason it wasn't a blowout was yeah. Mason. So you know, it, it's um, it's been different things at different times. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Flyers had that great early tradition with the goalies. Right with, with uh, Bernie and and uh, you know Peters. Uh, Peters kind of came out and kind of came out of nowhere. He was a little bit, you know, he didn't have a great. Well, actually, he did. He won. Actually, I should take that back because he won back to back Calder Calder Cups with uh, the Maine Mariners. But uh, I don't think anybody was expecting him to come in the NHL and be part of that 35 game unbeaten streak and you know get to the Stanley Cup Finals that first year, playing the All Star game his first two years, and you know then Pelly comes along and then in between that was Froze and Ron Hextall. So I think. I think people got spoiled to goaltending greatness, starting with Bernie and in, in, in that spell there, you know, and then, you know, and then it's been a little uneven since then, but I, I, I think that there've been, you know, a lot of good goalies to talk about. There were, you know, there were some high points in Ray Emery's flyers career too, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I, truthfully, if Ray Emery would have been healthy in, in 2009, 10, he had, he had the hip issue. Um, and that's with all due respect to what Bush and Michael Layton did to hold things together till the, till the Stanley Cup Finals. I think if uh, I think if Emery had been healthy all year, Flyers might have won the Cup that year. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's been uh, you know it, it's been an interesting history, an uneven history, but I don't think it's been it's been far from all bad. And it'll be interesting conversations too, because um, there's only one player in, in the game, well, one on each end, that sees everything in front of him for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, the perception of a game from a goaltender's perspective is so far different than it is from a player's perspective. So we'll get to talk to them about that playing in Philadelphia, guys like Sean Burke. And I mean, there's the names are such an illustrious group of names too. Dan Beesbrook as well, um, who, who was a Flyers goaltender. 
uh, and had a lot of successful years in the league. Great USA born guy working for USA hockey now. So we'll, we'll talk to a bunch of the different guys. I can't wait to do it. Uh, and we'll get the list together and we'll get some guys confirmed and we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, so that's coming up very soon here on Flyers Daily. And again, on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Bill and I will be presenting that to you. But Bill, we got to get to some Twitter questions. We haven't done this in a while. So I put out a solicitation on Saturday uh, evening for people to put in their questions and we got a bunch to tackle here. So let's start with Bob Haynes Jr. Bob's a loyal listener to the program. And he says, uh, um, in regards to, I asked uh, also in the tweet about what people thought of the Flyers Hall of Fame week conversations. He said, how about a group like Gagne Primo, Chemo, the next wave of potential Flyers Hall of Fame guys? We talked about Gagne. We talked about Chemo. What about Primo? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that... Uh... The thing with Preems is that, that if he hadn't had the concussion that ended his career prematurely, yeah, he had that, you know, he had the one thirty goal year here, he had the the five overtime goal against Pittsburgh, and he had the beyond belief playoff run in in two thousand four. Um, you know, is that and, and you know, and of course he was a team captain at that point. Is, is that uh, you know, is that enough resume to get into the team hall? Maybe. Maybe you, you could certainly make that case that, uh, you know, certainly the 2004 run doesn't happen with, without Primo playing the way that he did. Um, you know, they, I, I wouldn't put him in the top four or five group. We, we discussed the guys that I think would go in ahead of Primo, but you, you could make that case that he would be a guy who, you know, you could make a case that, that he, you know, ought to go in. Yeah, former captain. Uh, maybe it hurts him that he got traded here for Rod Brindamore, <laughs> which a lot of people still aren't over, including Rod, apparently, uh, in our conversation with him. Um, MC Hack 510 says, how or who will replace Matt Niskanen? Yeah, that's uh, that's the, the billion-dollar question. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, you almost need two guys to replace him, and that that's that's why it hurts so much to lose him. And it's not that, you know, not that Niskanen is a – was a uh, Norris Trophy kind of guy, but he, he was a guy who was very well-rounded. Um, so, you know, I think I think Eric Gustafson can step into the power play side of things and, and make up for the points. Um, who's going to take his role on, on the PK? Who's going to be that calming uh, force on the bench in the locker room? Who just, uh, you know, when things get, uh, we talked about Kimo Timonen before, there was a lack of that kind of guy between Timonen and Niskanen you know, when things when things get chaotic and emotional on the bench and things can be in danger of unraveling, you need that guy who it's not necessarily what he says, it's how he says it, it's his, de- his demeanor, how he carries himself. That was one thing this game was really, really good at. If you look at how you know how good the Flyers were at closing out games last year, and it wasn't just wasn't just his minutes on the ice. I think it was also the demeanor that Niskanen brought that okay, things are gonna be okay, you know. When things get chaotic and game can slip away. You need that leadership element too. Um, big guy on the PK, so that's uh, you know, that's not going to be easy. Um, right now, it, it looks like uh, Phil Myers might be the guy to step into that right side defense role, uh, playing playing alongside Provorov. Um, if if Gustafson is to play right side, which he seems to, which he prefers, well, he can play either side. Then that way they can keep um, Sanheim on the left side. And have more continuity, you know, a little closer to what last year's pairings were. So that first chance might go for Phil Myers. Um, you know, I mean, Phil should continue to get better as an NHL defenseman. Um, you know, it's a lot. To, it's a lot to ask for him to step into, uh, you know, Deniskinen's role. I think that's going to have to come from Provorov and the group as a whole, and 
you know, they did bring Braun back. So you do get some veteran leadership from him, but uh, that's, that's, that to me is one of the biggest question marks of the season. Who's going to provide that, that stabilizing element. And right now, you know, right now that's kind of an open question. That, that is one of my questions, you know, uh, on being able to build off of last season right now, because there was no obvious guy to, you know, directly replace him. And the other thing too, Niskanen can go out in a situation in a game where you had a two goal lead. Now it's a one goal lead team, the opponents all over you, and he can go out and have a very calming shift on the entire group and just do the simple things and recontrol the game and to get your team back into a, a really good position. Travis uh, Bellinghoff tweets in and it says expectations for Shane Goss to this season, assuming he's healthy all year long. That's a, that's a big assumption right now because he's been battling a little bit injury wise, but he has had some time to recover after the surgery during the pause. And we saw him come back a little bit, but um, I guess to, to expound on Travis's question is, will he be here? It, I think that he looks like he will be here. Um, you know, I, if he's, if he's healthy and, and playing the level that he played, you know, a few seasons ago, uh, now you got to go back not this past season, the season before, but the season before that, when he uh, played quite a bit with Provorov on the top pairing and had, you know, his best all-around season in the NHL. Um, he had the, all the points his rookie year, but his third season was really his best all-around year in the league. Um, you know, I, he has the ability to bounce back. He'll, you know, he's a guy who can help you when, on the power play. You know, with, with the Flyers bringing Gustafson in, one of the questions that I, that I have with that is with both guys in the starting lineup, you know, and, and I know that uh, Chuck Fletcher said that they, well, they play a little different style and that's true. They do. They don't play the same style of hockey. Exactly. They, they get, they get it done a little differently, but both of them play similar roles, even though, you know, like it's like in baseball, one guy might be a sinker slider guy. One guy might throw a little harder, but they, they might play the same role in your rotation. That's kind of similar to where Gustafson and ghost are. Because both are power play guys, both are guys who start a, a lot of their shifts in the offensive zone to be as effective as possible. You know, they're not going to kill penalties, either one of them. So, you know, if you have a situation where if you're starting both of those guys and you're starting six, okay, what happens if you have a uh, you know defenseman goes down or a defenseman takes a double minor? You're, you're good, you can't rotate three guys on the PK. One of those guys is going to have to see some PK time with, you know, in those situations. Yeah. Would, would that be Ghost? I guess, you know, I mean, it, Gus has really not really been much of a PK guy. Not that Ghost has been either. I just, to me, it's hard to fit both of those pieces in the same. You can't have redundancy in your lineup. Yeah. On your blue yeah. line. So, it's really difficult. So, yeah. So even though they're, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, I guess Ghost is competing with Robert Haig for a spot to, to play alongside uh, Justin Braun. Um, yeah, been there, done that. I, I don't. Doesn't you work. Know, yeah. Or, or, you know, I mean, uh, do you, if you're trailing in a game, might you put, uh, you know, Gossip Bear and Gossipson together to go for broke offensively? That's risky. Uh, it's, it's not that it's never been done. Sometimes teams have paired two offensive-minded guys. So, you know, uh, if, if Ghost is healthy and plays like he did a couple of years ago, that'll take care of itself because but the number one, the number one thing you need out of both of really both of those guys, but, but, uh, you know, just a ghost is you need, you need the point production out of them. You know, there, there are guys points, who, are good, yeah. Yeah, who, who can make contributions in other ways where, you know, if the points aren't coming, they're still helping you. Uh, ghost really needs to put up points. And, and if he does that and he's producing on the power play and, you know, and, and um, 
getting back to where he was a couple of years ago was a guy who, you know, in overtime, three on three situations. I mean, how many games did the Flyers win in overtime because uh, because Ghost did something? So it's something, yeah. you know, it's something that he's a guy who can still who can still contribute. Um, I, I don't see him being imminently traded. I think if he was going to be traded, it would have already have happened. Yeah. So he's he's in a competition for a starting spot, and you know, and and then we'll see from there. And and I don't think anything is guaranteed with any guy anyway. I mean, you know, Gustafson is on a one-year deal himself. So if Ghost outplays him, then maybe Ghost plays and, and Gus sits on occasion. So, you know, uh, I mean, competition is always a good thing. But I I think he's one of those guys too who's you know has something to prove coming into the season. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how coaches and Elaine Vigneault included handle three games in four days fresh yeah. legs, you know, having a little bit deeper. Uh, his second question was consider, he said, considering goes high offensive skill level, but susceptibility on the defensive end. Are you aware if it's ever been considered to move him up to play the wing position, make any sense to you guys? I've commented on it before. I hope we can just kind of put this to rest. Very few guys play wing and play defense. I mean, Sammy Kapanen did it. Uh, you know, Dustin Bufflin was a forward that moved back to D and we've seen other guys do it. Um, but the number one job of a winger is oftentimes to go and get pucks, win board battles, and it's not just not his forte. No, and and you know, I I think with I mean, Ghost started out as a forward, but he he hasn't played forward since he was about fourteen years old. Yeah, you know, he's he's been a defenseman a long, long time. Um, you know, uh, Ghost is a very good lateral skater. He's very elusive, but in, in a straight line, he's actually kind of an average skater yeah. so he's not you know he's I know, I know sometimes he gets called a speedster but ghost really isn't a speedster in that way he's not shifty. gonna yeah yeah he's more shifty than than a speedster um is he a guy who's going to go in and and uh apply four checking pressure and win battles in the walls and those kind of things i mean i i never I, you know i never questioned the try with him i never questioned the effort um but i don't i don't think those are his strongest suits um he, he's best suited to being an offensive defenseman coming up on the play from, you know, from the back end, pinching down to the circles, has has that big one-timer. And, I mean, that that's what he does best. Um, you know, as, as you said, not everybody's going to be uh, Dustin Bufflin or, or, you know, we talked about Mark Howe. I mean, Mark Howe, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Howe was a 40-goal forward who became a, a Hall of Fame defenseman. But, that, you know, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an unfair bar to set for, for guys. I, I, don't, I don't think – I don't think Ghost is a winger. Ghost is a defenseman. I agree. Um Travis also tweeted in a question. Should should we expect any other moves besides Myers? Uh, I, I think you and I agree that this is probably the, the roster that they're going in with. But he also said, I wouldn't mind seeing Grabner or Duclair on a cheap one-year deal or even a tryout, depending on how things go with either of them. Now, Duclair is representing himself. I think it's a very precarious situation to represent yourself, given what's going on in the financial landscape of the NHL. Uh, Grabner as well uh, is on the market still. You know, Hoffman's still out there too. Money's not going to grow for these guys, is it, Bill? No, no. And the you know, cap dollars are, are very limited. Um, Grabner, Grabner's career has been kind of all over the map. He's had some really solid years, his thirty goal years. But I remember a couple of years ago when and uh, when he went to the Devils and he ended up a healthy scratch in the playoffs, and he was one of the prize acquisitions at, at the deadline. You know. Grabner does bring tremendous speed. Um, he's always been a good penalty kill guy. Great friends with Michael Roffel. So there, there are there are things, you know, you could say, hey, you know, he, he might be a good fit here. You can certainly always use another speedy winger. Um, you know, 
Pitlick moved along, another veteran you could bring in who does bring the, the, the speed element. But, I mean, the Flyers already have a lot of competition for spots. Um, you know, they were hoping some of these young players take these spots. So unless he's coming in on a minimal deal or on a tryout, I don't, uh, you know, I don't see Grabner as, you know, as a, as a slam dunk kind of fit right now. It's more of a, he's more of a blocker, if anything. Yeah. And, and, and Duclair is one of those players who, you know, I cannot figure out Anthony Duclair because everybody knows, every talk about speedsters, you know, they're my, he, he is uh, abs, absolutely has elite speed and he's shown flashes of scoring ability but he can never stay in anybody's organization. He always ends up in the doghouse. He, he always wears out his welcome wherever he's been, you know, and, and pretty quick order too. And, um, uh, you know, when he was in Columbus uh, and he was sitting regularly after he had, a, he had an offensive hot stretch as he sometimes does. And then he ended up a healthy scratch for a prolonged period of time. And, and John Tortorella was asked, why are you sitting him? And he said, he has a listening deficit. So, <laughs> So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, there's always been coachability questions with him and the fact that the fact that he couldn't, you know, I mean, Ottawa could certainly use, use some guy with some scoring ability and he, and he went there cheap too, to, to be out, out there in the unrestricted market, you know, especially on a, uh, on a, you know, a cap floor team that worries me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe, a, maybe at a certain level, he could help you in a third line kind of role, but he's not a, he's not a guy I would ever, ever, ever want to count on Grabner being, being in the same boat for different, different set of reasons, just because, you know, are you getting, are you getting 30 goal Michael Grabner or are you getting, you know, are you getting a guy who'll get you eight goals and, you know, just kind of disappear for two months on you other than killing penalties. So, you know, I, I, I would personally prefer to see the flyers see what their young players can do. And then you can always, you can always adjust in season if you need to make a bigger move. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you take a, you know, you take a, a flyer on a guy and, and he ends up being, you know, a great bargain for a year, whatever the case might be. But, uh, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that either of those two particular guys hold a lot of interest for me personally. Yeah. And declares one of those, all that talent and just, it just doesn't come together. And there's gotta be a reason for that. Um, two more quick ones. Uh, Logan G tweets and he says, I would like to see young guys like Morgan Frost or Connor Bunneman make an impact this season. How likely are we to see young guys like them in the lineup? And he also uh, is inquiring about Nolan Patrick's recovery. So let's start with Bunneman and Morgan Frost. Um, Bunneman was a guy last year, and he got sent back down at the deadline bill because of a couple of acquisitions of Derek Grant and, and Nate Thompson. Uh, and it wasn't anything that Connor Bunneman did wrong or anything like that. Chuck Fletcher talked about it at the time. It was just some veteran guys to come in for a playoff push, which is something you need in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Then the season got derailed, but uh, Bunneman's a guy who did contribute last year and looks poised to make that next step. And Morgan Frost has all the talent in the world. Yeah, I mean Bunneman. Bunneman even got into some playoff games too, which which says something. And I think Connor is in the mix for a fourth line role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it depends on kind of partially depends on where Scott Lawton ends up playing this year. If Lawton's on a wing or if he's not playing fourth line center, uh, you know, then, then there is a fourth line center spot available and, and Bunneman might be a guy who might be in the mix for that. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be at the, the NHL level, a big point producer, more of a, you know, a guy who can produce in the AHL produced a little bit in junior hockey too. So he, that's a guy who might be able to play some games for the team this season too. He on the, you know, on the bottom end of the lineup uh, with, with Morgan, 
you know, to me, the question is, is he going to break into the NHL at center, which seems to be where they, the Flyers want him to be and where he seems to be his best position? Or is he going to, or is he going to switch position and break in as a winger? Um, because if, uh, if the inside track is held by a healthy Nolan Patrick, you know, then you're, you're looking at uh, Couturier, Kevin Hayes, Nolan Patrick, you know, Morgan Frost is not a fourth line, you know, a fourth line center prospect. He's a skill guy. So you're either looking at, at a wing or you're looking at, at develop, trying to develop his two-way game more in the American Hockey League. Um, you know, so some of it depends on, uh, on Nolan Patrick. A lot of it depends on Morgan himself. Um, you know, it, it, with Morgan, it's really, it's really about some of the details of the game. Um, getting a little stronger on the puck, not getting knocked off the puck as easily. Um, continuing to work on his 200-foot game getting, you know, a little physically stronger. That, that's that been something that he's been working on in, in the gym over this offseason. So if he can do those things, certainly the talent level is there. Um, I would love – I mean, it would be a great situation for the Flyers. If, if Morgan Frost is able to become a full-time player this season at the NHL level, that bodes very well for him and for the team. Um, I would say that right now, if you're looking at the, the numbers game, I would say that the odds right now would favor Morgan starting the season back with the Phantoms again. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, and with Nolan Patrick, you know, I mean, it sounds so far, it sounds so good. I mean, he's playing in scrimmages in, in Manitoba, uh, Ryan White's league, and um, they'll, they'll have to get him into camp and into contact drills and, you know, and see how, how he holds up with that. If he holds up with that, then, you know, then, then talk about him playing again uh, in the relatively near future. But that all that remains to be seen. Yeah, and it's interesting because so much is riding on Nolan Patrick. Just for example, that third line center spot. Where what does that do to Scott Lawton? What does that do to Morgan Frost? I could see a third line, maybe not to start the season, Bill, but being Nolan Patrick provided he's healthy and playing well, and you know, realizing that ability that he has to that got him to be the number two overall pick in the draft, along with Oscar Lindblom and Morgan Frost. That yeah. would be an interesting line. That would be a that'd be very interesting lineup too, and because because Patrick does bring a two way element, and you know that Lindblom does. Yep. You know that you know then you have Frost and a wing. That could be a very interesting combination, and that uh, you know, and, and we're talking about young guys stepping up. Let's not forget Joel Farabee He's going yep. into his second year here too, and and I think some bigger things are expected from Joel this year uh, than compared to the year one too. So it's, uh, you know, he's a guy who really intrigues me heading into this year too. Is he a guy who's going to break into the top six this year or is he, or he, or my, he, he potentially could be a guy in, in, a, in a third line mix too. If Frost does go back to the Phantoms or, you know, and, and stays at center. So that's, uh, you know, so either which way, I mean, I, I do think you could see a, a young combination like that of, of Patrick and Limbaugh who have shown chemistry together before anyway. And, uh, you know, a, a young winger with them. Of course, of course. Then okay, does that does that put JVR back in your top six again too? And that's uh, you know that's going to be one of the questions I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about it in camp heading into the season because there are going to be a lot of eyes on him as a guy who was a healthy scratch more than once in the postseason. So that's going to be uh, you know, pretty intriguing to watch. Yeah, I mean, I almost forgot about him. I look at the lines, and I go, okay, your top line is uh, Couturier, Giroux. And Jake Voracek, your second line, Kevin Hayes, Joel Farabee, and Travis Konechny. Your third line, Nolan Patrick, Morgan Frost, and and Oscar Lindblom. Your fourth line, Scott Lawton, Michael Raffle, and uh, who's my other forward there that I'm not thinking of off the top of my Oh, Nicholas Albay-Kubel. Go back to Bell, yeah. And I feel good about that. I go and I go, I feel good about what I'm rolling out there. 
And I know I have some variants too. If we go through a dry spell, I can move some pieces around. I can move Konechny onto that top line for Voracek. I can put Voracek alongside Kevin Hayes. I can put Voracek on that third line and play with Nolan Patrick. I, I got so much I can do here to, to spark as well, including I can move Drew around. Not, to, not that I want to move him to center, but I can move him around other wing positions as well. Uh, or, or, you know, or in some combinations, because I, I think Tanner Lashinsky is going to see more NHL games than he sees AHL games. I think Lashinsky is pretty close to NHL ready, if not mm-hmm. already ready. He's a guy who can play center, can play wing. That's another that's another fourth line center option too. If if Lawton is playing somewhere else, and Lashinsky's a guy who potentially could even bump up a line on occasion. He's a guy who I think might have the ability to be a good utility guy. You know, you plug him in a couple games a little higher in the line and move him back to the fourth line. Have him play in the middle on occasion. Have him play kind of like Raffles done, right? That's what Raffles done. Yeah, and Raffles going into the final year of his contract too. He's in in his thirties now, so you know that might be a a long term thing to look at, but it might might even be a thing this year too, especially because Raff does have some injury history. I, I mean, I really like the top twelve. Yeah, I really do too. And all is not lost. I know everybody. Hey, you want Patrick Lana? You want this? You want that? You want to go shopping in free agency? Sometimes it's smarter to grow with what you got, and that's what the Flyers appear to be doing. Um, Bill, this was awesome. A lot of fun. Great stuff. Uh, we'll be looking for everything on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and, of course, HockeyBuzz.com as well. The goalie series is coming, and uh, hopefully we get Timmy Kerr very soon, and uh, we continue Flyers Hall of Fame week as well. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jason. As always, thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. I can't wait for goalie week, by the way. You know that I'm pumped up about that. It's going to be so interesting. I love the the perspective that goalies who played in the NHL talk about their experiences. It's unlike hearing players or skaters, if you will, forwards and defensemen, winger centers. Uh, it's much different, much different perspective, a much different view, and a whole different set of pressure. So we'll have goalies week coming up here on Flyers Day. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Hope everybody had a good holiday, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode of Flyers Day. Well,